Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to lift up the word and to hear what you would have to say to us. We ask that we hear what it is you want to hear. You have me speak what you want spoken. And that you will bless and anoint this time as we come together in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We're getting into the part of the epistle that is practical. Now, most of Paul's epistles start out with the first half or so being very doctrinally based. There are lots of information. Then he gets into meddling with the people and telling them what they should do. <laughs> and this is kind of where we're at. We're, this one is one where we learn how we're supposed to live. And so we're going to be Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness did not once be named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. We're going to look at these verses and, and just kind of, Paul is being very practical here. He starts out with a very simple statement. He says, become or be made an imitator of Christ. Now, it's kind of interesting how often we think we need to do things to become more Christ-like, to become Christian, to walk like a Christian. You know, we've talked about this. Christianity is very simple. It's a relationship with God. He fills us up and he changes us. And this one, it, it kind of, in the English, it goes, you know, the be therefore followers of Christ. And it really that be is become. <laughs> become. Not something I do, not something I try to work at, but become. And this is important for us. And we've said it over and over. Living a Christian life is easy when we surrender <laughs> and just have a relationship. If I'm sitting there trying to follow a whole bunch of rules so that I can please God and I can look like a Christian, we're going to have problems. Because most of us don't like rules, and yet we do like rules in one sense. You know, rules make it real easy. As long as I can check off the boxes, <laughs> I'm okay. And God says, I want to go beyond those boxes. You know, this is what Jesus told the Pharisees, if you remember. He goes, you know, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. And he goes, I say it to you, if you lust after somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart. You know, Jesus took it even further than they wanted because they just wanted to control the outward, you know. Let me look good. I, I can check off that box. I've never committed adultery. Thought about it a lot, but never done it. I've never killed anybody, but boy, I thought about it a lot. <laughs> you know, and Jesus is saying, I want the thought life as well. And we can't clean up our thought life. You know, and we need to understand that. It's that relationship with God. He crucifies the flesh. He crucifies our desires. He fills us. We live it out. And we become imitators of Christ. The term Christian came as an insult to Christians. It goes, you're just little Christ followers. You know, they thought they were insulting them. You don't have a mind. You're, you, you can't think for yourself. You're just being like that Nazarite uh, leader of yours. And the Christian said, we like that title, we'll just hold on to it. <laughs> you know, we want to be followers of him. We want to be like him. 
But again, it's not us striving. Does that mean we don't do anything? You know, we just let go of everything? No. <laughs> but we're not. When we follow God, what is your motive behind following Him? You know, for me, there's certain things in my life that are just automatic. There's not even a thought process to it. You know, going to church is one of those things. <laughs> I get up Sunday morning. It's time to go to church. Unless I'm in an ambulance headed to the hospital, <laughs> which has happened once. <laughs> Uh, come to church. It's just an automatic. There's no thought. There's other areas in my life that are struggle. <laughs> and we all have those areas. And we all have areas where it's an automatic. We just do it because that's who we are and who we've become. And we have areas where God is trying to work in our life and saying, I want you to change this. Let me, let me take care of it. But the key is it's him taking care of it. Again, I don't go out and purposely sin or try to do, you know, uh, one of the comics we put on one day shows a little boy, you know, with a gun and knife, you know, stabbing his brother, you know, and his mom said, don't do that. He goes, we're not under the law. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of cute because we know that's not what God says by not being under the law. It doesn't go on and say, go commit all the stuff that you want to do. It's saying, you're not doing it to please him. You know, it's not part of a checklist to say, I do these things, you know, I do the 613 laws that God said to obey and I'm okay. Well, unfortunately, we couldn't keep all 613 if we wanted to. We can't even, we have trouble keeping the 10 that most people talk about, and much less 613 of them that God said, that Paul tells us, those are out there to, to show you that you're a sinner. The law is there to show us we are a sinner that we need God. We can't get to please him through the through keeping of the law because God says you have to be perfect. And none of us is perfect, even me. I'm probably more unperfect than a lot of people because we have problems in our life. And Paul is saying, be an imitator of Christ. And says, walk in love as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Boy, this is a tough, <laughs> tough verse when you think about it. We're to love one another as God loves. We've talked about that, you know, we know the Greek word is agape. Most people define that as unconditional love. I prefer objective love. I choose to love people just as God chooses to love us takes all the romance and feelings out of it, which is good. Because if God's love was based in emotion, we would be very insecure, wouldn't we? Because God gets mad at us sometimes. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, he, he looks down and says, you know, I am not happy. And we see that, especially with the Jews all the time, when they kept going into idolatry and turning away from God. He brings them through the Red Sea. And what's the first thing they do a day later? We're thirsty. <laughs> You know, God brought us out of here to kill us. <laughs> and God got a little angry with them. He gave them water. You know, a little while later, hey, we're starving out here. <laughs> God, you don't love us. How often do we do that kind of stuff with God? God's waiting for us to ask for something, and we say, God, you don't love us. You haven't given us what I, what I, what I think I need before I asked for it. We tend to do that with God a lot, don't we? We like to go, I've tried everything I can do, so maybe now I should pray. 
And God is saying, why don't we turn this around? <laughs> Pray, and I will provide. Doesn't fit what we want to do in our flesh, though, does it? In our flesh, we want to go, God, uh, I want to do everything I can. I don't really need you that much. You know, I, could, I can do a lot myself. Kind of reminds us of our kids sometimes, or maybe when we were kids. <laughs> you know, I don't need your help, Mom, Dad. I don't need it. Don't need it. You know they need it. <laughs> you know, and then they come to you after they've messed up everything they've been trying to do. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, I needed the help after all. <laughs> God is not stingy with his, with his love. He says he's got an abounding grace, an abounding love. He wants to help us when we go to him. Will he give everything that we think we need? Absolutely not, because we don't need most of what we think we need. He's promised to meet all our needs. And he's a good parent. He wants to give us good things as well, beyond the needs. But we need to be able to go to him and pray and say, God, I would like this. I would like this to be given. And then always remember that no is an answer. You know, how many times have you heard people say, well, I prayed and God didn't answer? Well, you may not have liked his answer, <laughs> but he answered. He probably said no and probably for a good reason. He knows what is going to hurt and what's not going to hurt us. And how many times, you know, when you... The raising kids or were a kid, you ask for something or they ask for something and you didn't give it to them because you know you knew it wouldn't be good for them to have. You know, no, you can't have that sports car that, that goes 100, 190 miles an hour as a 16-year-old as, a <laughs> as you're just trying to learn. <laughs> you know, I'm being a little facetious with that one, but you understand what I'm saying. There's little things and you say, no, that's not good. And God says, no, it's not good. Yeah. And I'm always reminded about no when, when I think about the country and western song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. <laughs> now that song, that song wasn't quite the greatest song, but it still gave you an example. There's some prayers that you probably remember and say, Thank you, God, you didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> you know, it really wasn't what I thought it would be. <laughs> God protects us as a good father. And he says, I want you to love. How did Jesus love? He laid down his life. He laid down his life so that we could be saved. How many of us would be willing to give our life if others could get saved? I hope that that is a part of what you would, would want. You know, to try to hold on to something really tightly that God is trying to take out of our hands and wanting to use for something else is not a good, good decision. Many of us hold our life that tight. God, I don't want pain. I don't want death. What if a whole city got converted to Christ because you died in a way that brought attention to God? Jim Elliot died trying to evangelize a, a, a tribe of Indians in South America. He and I think it was three other men died. But through their death, their wives were able to minister to the Indians and bring that tribe to Christ. Would those men think that their lives were wasted? It's hard for us as, as you know, a human framework to say four men, young men, wanting to serve God with all their heart, soul, and life, that it was worth it. But God said, I'm using it to bring glory 
we need to be careful in what, how we want to limit God. Because sometimes our pain may be just what somebody needs to see God's faithfulness. And that sounds harsh, it sounds strange, but God does do that. He may use our pain in our life to say, this is how my ch children walk through this issue. And you know what? The way we walk through it as his children is often very different. <laughs> how many times have you had somebody come to you and say, I don't know what you have, but when you went through that, I know you have something I don't have and I want it. Hopefully that's happened to you. Hopefully you've lived a life that people look at and say, you've got something I want. They may not want it right at the moment that you're going through everything, but they look at your faithfulness because we're imitating Christ. We're willing to sacrifice whatever it is. Abraham was asked to, to sacrifice Isaac. Can you imagine how hard that was? Isaac, the miracle child, a 100-year-old and a 99-year-old and a 90-year-old having a child, <laughs> You know, no way it could have happened naturally, especially for Sarah. Because Sarah laughed, and why did she laugh? Because she said, I'm beyond the way of women. Okay? She wasn't having periods anymore. There was no way she could have a child. <laughs> she laughed. You know, yeah, right. These people are kind of insane. They don't understand, they don't understand science. They don't understand the body. <laughs> and she had this child. And then Abraham was told, Okay, let's take your miracle child who I've told you is the promised one and make him, make him an offering. That would be a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I, as a pastor, would have told him he hadn't heard from God because God doesn't accept human sacrifice. <laughs> okay? Now, granted, that hadn't been laid out completely at that point, but, you know, I don't go, no way, there's no way you heard God. <laughs> and yet, God looked at his willingness to give it up. And oftentimes, you know, God is just saying, are you willing to give up? Are you willing? Are you holding on to something so tight that you're not willing to do what I want? Or are you willing to give it up? Oftentimes, that willingness is all it takes. But sometimes it takes suffering. And people look at that suffering and say, I want. I want the strength you have. Imitators of Christ, even to the point of being willing to give up everything for the glory. There's nothing on this earth that's worth holding on to with all of our might. Because eternity is waiting for us with all the blessings of eternity. If we change our perspective to a heavenly perspective, we're going to be willing to go through whatever it is that God puts us through. Does it mean we're going to enjoy it? I hope not. <laughs> if you enjoy pain, there's a pr other problems with you. Okay. Uh, but to endure pain... To go before God and, and be able to say, God, I don't understand, you know, and I've said this, sometimes I've gone to God, God, I don't understand why, but you said it's for good. Somebody somewhere is going to be blessed for whatever he puts us through. And we need to keep that in mind. Doesn't mean it's good necessarily here on earth. To be in pain and suffer on earth is not good news. But, you realize that people are watching you when, you're, when you still serve God, even in your pain. When you still honor God in whatever trials you have, and you still face God and say, God is good. You know, and that's been said over and on. God is good, and all the time he is good. 
We need to remember that. When we think that something's bad going on in our life that God doesn't understand, we need to remember God is good. And he's got a plan. Job did not think he had a very good time when he was being stripped of everything he owned, including his health. He didn't think it was a very good thing when his wonderful friends and students that he taught kept telling him that he was a sinner. And that he deserved everything that he was going through. But we've talked about this. Job was being taught a very valuable lesson as well. We think the prosperity gospel is a new idea. It's not. Job believed the prosperity gospel. Do good and God rewards. Do bad and you get punished. If you're being punished, you've done something wrong. He believed the prosperity gospel. The problem is that it is true that God rewards us when we do good most of the time. But we can't be looking at it and saying, always, always do I have to get rewarded when I do good. We will be rewarded. It's a guarantee we will be rewarded. It may be in heaven rather than here. But we will get the reward. But we need to understand, God may be trying to teach people. In Job's case, he was trying to teach Job, number one. You know, just follow me for obedience sake, not, not for the reward. And he was also trying to teach Job's friends the same message. You know, don't judge people because of the evil, because it is not necessarily true that they've done anything wrong. So we need to be careful. This is why we love one another. This is why we care for one another. When somebody's hurting, we are to love them, encourage them. Not to say, what have you been doing wrong that you're suffering so bad? Now, the second thing is, we probably did plenty wrong to deserve anything that hits us. But that may be not why we're suffering what we're suffering. Okay? Because uh, all of us have done things we didn't get punished for. So, if nothing else, you can look at, okay, you punished me for all the things I didn't deserve, and I don't deserve this one, but I still deserve it. But God is working to teach lessons. And we need to be ready to live. And it may be just to show others God's grace, his faithfulness, that you can serve God even in the middle of trials, tribulations, pains. Then it goes on to say in the word but, and we've always talked about this, the, that but is an interesting and important one. It says, fornicators, or fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you. If we're imitating Christ, these sins really aren't going to be part of our life as a lifestyle. And that's what I was talking about, a lifestyle of these. Fornication in Greek is pornonia. We get pornography out of it. It's all illicit sexual activities included in that statement. So we're not going to go into what those are. If you know them, that's great. If you don't know them, that's even better. <laughs> uh, but it's all illicit styles of sexual fornication. And it says this is important to God. And it also is a form of idolatry. Jesus, uh, God called Israel his bride. And what did he accuse them of over and over in the Old Testament? Adultery and fornication because they were into idolatry. Jesus has his bride, the church. What are we told in the New Testament to be aware of? Beware of adultery and fornication before him with other gods. This is a very strong thing that he's saying, I want you to be my children. I want you to be my special possession and not go out 
and follow other gods. Now, we in our modern day go, well, we don't follow gods. <laughs> you know, we don't have any trees and idols stuck in our houses. An idol is anything that goes before God. And it can be a lot of things. One of the, one of the ancient idols was the idol of, of business and prosperity. We still have that idol in our life. We may not have the God, the statue in our house, but there are many people who are chasing after success in business and will do anything it takes to be successful in business, work seven days a week, 80 hours a week, sacrifice their family, sacrifice everything that they think they're working for just for success in business. We, we, many people have an idol that sits in their, their living rooms and all the chairs are wrapped around it and facing it. You know, where they spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day <laughs> watching this idol <laughs> and not paying any attention to God. You know, how important is God in your life? What is taking his place in your life? What is an idol in your life? We all tend to have them. You know, I tend to be a workaholic. It took me years to get out of that. Out of that. Worked real hard for a family that I never saw. Almost 10 years of, my, of, the, of our beginning marriage, I worked real hard, you know, made a good check, gave it to my wife who spent it on the kids in the house that I, I never saw anybody because I was busy having something above God. We need to be careful. We have idols in our life and we need to be able to look at them and say, what is more important to God? What is more important to me than God? What can keep me from church? What can keep me from the Bible? What can keep me from prayer? We need to look at that and say, this is something that is an issue. It says, then it goes on to say, all uncleanness, which is all lustfulness. Now, and lustfulness isn't just after people. We can lust after money. Some people lust after cars. Met one of the guys in the prison. He was watching the the automobile show, and I go, oh, you really like the automobiles? And he goes, yeah, and he pulls out all these magazines <laughs> about cars. <laughs> okay. Um, what can keep us from God? What do we desire more than God? It's easy to get into those de other desires, isn't it? Sometimes for, for housewives and mothers, they can put their children and their, and their homes before God. Martha was kind of that example of an in the scriptures, you know, she was so much caring about getting on a good dinner and a good, looking like the great hostess. <laughs> you got to figure, when Jesus came with, with people to their house, you know, how would you like Jesus? You really want Jesus to come to your house, but with him came minimum of 12 disciples, <laughs> uh, a whole bunch of other people that just were following him to hear whatever he said. Wherever he ended up, the sick came. <laughs> you had the scribes and Pharisees that showed up, at least a few of them. Yeah. Can you imagine what, the, what Mary, Martha was going through? Of course she wanted Mary to help her. You know, she had a whole house full of people that expected a meal. But she placed all of this hosting scene above listening to God. Had an opportunity to be like Mary and listen to God. But there was also the need to get that meal ready. You know, there was a need for getting that meal ready for him and his disciples and anybody else that showed up. And in the Middle East, whoever showed up at your house was to be fed. Even if they were an enemy, they were to be fed. They showed up, especially if you're out in the desert. You know, which meant sometimes you could have a whole lot of people at your house. 
Uh, especially if you're a really good cook. <laughs> and you put it on a good, good table. And he says, in all covetousness, he says, let it not once be named among you. Don't let it be named among you. Are we living a lifestyle that people look at us and say, that's a Christian? Or are they looking at us and saying, boy, what a hypocrite they are. Now we know we all fail. <laughs> we all make mistakes. And immediately the lost world will jump on it and say, we're being hypocrite. But is it our lifestyle? You know, we all know people we look at and we say, boy, that person really looks strong. Yes, they fail, but they seem to really be following God. We also know people that they name the name of Christ and we kind of look at them and go, okay, God, it's between you and them whether they know you, but boy, there's no fruit. There's no fruit there. And we're not to judge the people because of that, because they could be saved and just be extremely weak. And as I told some guys the other day, you know, the person you're looking at and saying, you know, boy, they're a terrible example of a Christian because they don't do this, this, or this, may be looking at you and say, boy, you're a terrible example of a Christian because you don't do this, this, and this that they believe in. Which is really one of the reasons we can't judge because God has that individualized plan for us. Now, well, I can't look at somebody and say, well, because you're not doing this that God told me five, you know, five years ago not to do, you're not, not a Christian because they're looking at me and saying, God told me five years ago not to do this and you're doing it. I love it that God has an individual plan for each one of our lives. He doesn't have a cookie cutter approach and saying, this is what it takes to be a Christian because that would put us under rules and laws. There isn't a book in God's, God's way saying, do these steps, you know, your, your 12 steps to self-help and becoming a Christian and being a good Christian. Because he knew if he did something like that, we would just, box one checked, box two checked, Okay, I reached the end of the list. I'm, I'm a good Christian. And God says, well, no, I've got a few more things for you to learn. It's amazing to me that the longer I work, walk with God, the more I see how much there is yet to clean up. Now, when we first get saved, we, we clean up all the things that people see, and we feel like we've done a good job, and then God shines a little brighter light down into our heart and says, uh, believe me, I said your heart's deceitfully wicked beyond all comprehension. Let me show you a little bit of it. And he shines a light down in there. The greatest thankfulness I have is that he didn't shine a light bright enough to show everything that was there immediately. <laughs> because just think about this. If God showed you everything that you have wrong in your life, you'd probably be paralyzed in trying to, where do I start? So he just shines enough light to show us the next thing he wants us to deal with. We get that worked out of our life, and he says, okay, don't get, don't get complacent. I've got another one there. And those of you who have walked with God for a long time know exactly what I'm saying. You know, you get that momentary thing, okay, I'm all, I'm, I've got it, my, my life's straight, and then God shines another light in there. Uh, well, God, could you just let me have some fun for a little while and <laughs> think that I got it? And he's not, he's not going to do that. He's going to keep showing us more and more in our life that isn't like him teaching us to grow, teaching us to walk. And he wants us to be Christians that can be spoken of and saying, you are the follower that I want. You are an example to the people. And again, it's not a checklist. It's not a, not a force. It's because he's changing my life. When God shines that light down, all I got to do to get it changed is let him crucify it. 
Now, it usually takes us a while to get to one and to let them crucify it. <laughs> because usually the next thing he shows, at first we think, is, a, is something we like doing. And he's saying, I want it out of your life. And we've talked to, in one of the classes about, until we call something sin, we're not going to try to change it. How many things in your lifetime did you have God show you that you didn't think was really that bad? I'm going to get to a list of some of them here very soon. That I can guarantee most of us, if not all of us, do because of issues of the tongue. And the tongue gets most of us in trouble faster than anything else that we can think of. And so we look at this and he says, Neither filthiness, again, this is the idea of obscenities, that come out of our out of our walk or or the way we speak. It's the kind of kind of thing where you say something and it has two meanings to it. You know, the the pure and then the off-colored jokes and stuff that people will say. Uh, I'm sure nobody around here has ever done that in their lifetime or heard any, but you know, TV is full of them. Especially, you know, the surprising thing is early television had more of the, the current television. Now it's just flat out in your face. But you look at some of what was done and said in the early days of television, and if you had pure thoughts or, or young, you probably never caught them, but as you learned some of what they meant behind it, you realize that it was pretty, pretty vulgar in one sense, even though they didn't come right out and say it. And God is saying, don't do that. It's not to be named among us as Christians. He goes on to say, no foolish talking. Foolish, silly, godless talking. Makes fun of what God says is true and holy. I've said this to many people, and I've even told them if they try to tell me things, I do not find jokes about marriage funny in any way, shape, or form. I just don't. Marriage is a sacred commitment that people make that God has ordained and when people try to make fun of marriage, even jokingly, not even trying to be serious, I don't find it funny. I find it offensive, actually, because it's making fun of what God says is holy. And I don't appreciate anything making fun of things that God says is holy. That's foolish talking. Many people will jest in those kind of things. And it's not just marriage that's in that category. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I used to have people around me when I was at work. I've got to go home. I've got to go home to a ball and chain. And I'm going, I thought you loved your wife. I go, I do. I go, well, why would you look at her so negatively to call her a ball and chain? You know, I get bothered by those kind of comments. If you love this person, how can you be looking so negatively at them? Because there's got to be a problem if you're looking that negatively at them. And so, you know, we want to be able to say, what does God say about it? Agree with him? <laughs> Agree with God what he says about things. There are things in it that we should not be joking about. They're just not a joking issue because God says they're important. Uh, you, know, the, you know, listening to country music, I used to listen to a lot of country music. You know, most country music is about cheating and divorce <laughs> and getting drunk and losing stuff. Another place where I got tired of hearing all that negativity and anti-God stuff. Now, I switched to the oldies, which wasn't much better because it didn't have a good picture of love. Are we sensitive about what we feed ourselves with? 
doesn't mean get rid of everything, but we need to be more con considering what we listen to, what we watch, what we, what we tolerate in our life, because it does affect us. And entertainment affects us deeply because entertainment gets through us because we let our defenses down. We're not, our guard isn't up. If you're talking to somebody about Christ and you're witnessing to them, your guard is up a little bit. You're listening to what they say. You're able to respond and defend. How many times have you sat down in front of the TV for three hours and then wondered what you watched? Okay. Maybe you, know, maybe you could tell me the shows, but what, was, what content was in the shows? Now, I've shared with you back a while ago, my, my second oldest son was a movie fanatic. Uh, you know, I knew that I would never get him to stop watching lots of movies. So for a period of about three months, I would watch a lot of movies with him. And at the end of the movie, I would ask, what was godly about that movie? What was ungodly about that movie? I probably ruined his ability to just enjoy the movie. <laughs> and you know what? That was my purpose. Because he, would, he ran the whole genre of movies. And some of the movies just weren't worth watching. And I wanted him to hear my voice at the end of every movie saying, what was godly about that? What was ungodly about that movie? Because entertainment oftentimes will open up our mind and we let down our defenses. Oh, we're just being entertained. Have you heard anybody ever say, well, I just like this music. I don't know the words. And you listen to them sing every word to the song as they listen to it. Yeah. Very important. And I can tell you, there's some music out there that is, should not be listened to, period. Mm -hmm. Period. Because of the words that are embedded into people's souls. We need to be very discerning. We need to be careful. And I'm going to tell you even of this, even if you're listening to Christian music and Christian preaching, be discerning. Keep your guard up. Because there are Christian songs that teach bad doctrine. There are pastors on the radio quote-unquote pastors, on the radio that teach bad doctrine. And worse yet, on the TV. We need to be careful. Put discernment in there. Don't turn off our brains just because we're being entertained. We don't want to just vegetate. That's what the world wants, because Satan loves it when we're not thinking. He loves it when we're not being critical of what we're listening to. Because he can slip in there with all kinds of bad influences. So we want to be careful. Avoid this foolish talking that we get into. Then he talks and says, avoid jesting. Uh, jesting is quite an interesting word. It's anything that's vulgar or indecent language. You know, guys, I, I don't know if it happened in the girls' locker room, but it was in high school in the locker room, all the, all the off-color jokes and stuff that would fly around the locker room. And again, I don't know what happens in the girls. I can tell you probably did because I've had to drive teenage girls around in a van. And sometimes they forgot that there was a man sitting in the front. Uh, so I know that what happens in, in the men's room is probably happening in the women's locker rooms or worse. Foolish jesting, being indecent. How easy it is to not be careful. And we're told that we will be accountable for every idle word we speak. Well, we need to put it under the blood and get forgiveness because 
you know, how many times have we said things we know we shouldn't have said <laughs> when we weren't thinking about it? We were just kind of joking around, you know, just plain, whatever it might be. And God is saying, you made fun of that person, you tore that person down, you, you criticized that person. We need to be individuals that say, no, we can't say these things. No, we can't talk about that. Am I saying we have to talk about God 24-7? No. <laughs> you, know, you can talk about sports. You can build people up. You can, you can be edifying. But we do need to be watching what we say. Not tearing people down. Not criticizing. You know, how easy it is to say, well, gee, do you know what that person was doing uh, last night? Well, number one, you may or may not know what they were doing last night. And if you do know what they were doing, why were you there? Uh, to, to see it. So we really want to be careful. Paul is saying, live a lifestyle. And then he goes, none of those things are, it says convenient in the King James, are fitting. If we're truly Christians, if we truly have God living on us, that kind of language is not fitting into our lifestyle. But it all comes down to, what is my worldview? Am I following a biblical worldview? Or am I trying to fit into the world? And the world is going to give us all kinds of things. You know, how many of us have heard the idea that God helps those who help themselves? Mm. Sounds like it should be in the Bible, doesn't it? It sounds really good. Except that it's a completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. God says he helps those who turn over to him, who quit, who quit struggling. But you know, we, the world wants us to go do everything you can, and then maybe if you're so weak you can't do it yourself, go, go turn to a god. You know, I've had people tell me, well, you, know, you, you just use God as a crutch. And I go, yes, I do, thank you. It's better crutch than anything you're using. <laughs> you know, your, your alcohol, your, your drugs, your sex, your work, you know, none, of, none of that crutch is working for you, so I'll, I'll use God any day because he tells me to do it. <laughs> Take on my yoke, hide in me, he's our strong fortress, be in Christ, put on the full armor of God, which means be in Christ. You know, he's just saying, hide in me. Let me be your crutch. What other better crutch could you have than God? So he says it's not convenient for us. It's not fitting for us. And we want to be able to come to him and it says, rather than use our, our, our tongues for all those negative things, at the end of verse 4 it says, but rather giving thanks. God wants us to give thanks to him. He wants us building people up. We need to get into that practice. The greatest thing you can find out about somebody is they're saying good things about you when you're not there. You know, what a testimony that is. You're not tearing them down. You're not, you're not destroying them. You're saying good things about them. And we need to be doing that. What can we say that's good? The old adage, if you don't can't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, is, is a biblical principle. God is saying, give thanks. Don't tear people down. If you've got an issue with a person, go straight to them. You know, rumors start because people are talking about other people all the time. And you know, the easiest way to stop rumors, don't listen. If you find yourself in, in the middle of something that's going to be a rumor, uh-uh, you know, no, we're not going to go there. We need to, let's go talk to this person. You know, I've said that a lot to people. Nobody takes me up on it for some reason. 
Nobody usually wants to go and talk to the person that they're wanting to talk about. But it's a great way. You want to get out of the rumor mill? Just start telling people, let's go talk to that person. You'll get out of the rumor mill real fast. Because they're going to realize, especially if you do it often enough that they know that that's who you are. You're not going to listen to it. God tells us, give thanks. Be positive. Give him thanks. Bless people. Edify them. And then just real quick, verse 5. For this you know that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is that same list. <laughs> whoremonger, prostitute, <laughs> fornicator, unclean, covetous. I want you to look at that. If these are part of your lifestyle, it says, who is an idolater? If these are part of your life, you are, as far as God's considered, practicing idolatry. You're worshiping another God other than him. Now, again, it's not the idea that I've built this idol and I'm bowing down to it, but I'm not bowing down to God, which makes me an idolater in his eyes. If that's our lifestyle, and there's no changes in our lifestyle, and that's how we live, we need to be worried about it. We need to be worried about what God is looking at. Will we fail? Absolutely. We confess, our, we confess, we go forward, we move forward. But we want to be very careful that we don't live in a lifestyle that is not correct. But all of this, God can forgive. Jesus died for our sins. And we've got to keep remembering that he died for all, all sin. And it's all by grace that I can do anything for him anyway. You know, if I think that I'm doing something for God, I'm very foolish. Because he says no flesh will stand before him. All the good that we can do is not, in his eyes, is just filthy rags. And we want to be careful. He died for our sins. We deserve punishment. And all we've got to do is accept that gift. So we're going to close in prayer here. And we just want to look and say, God, if I have a problem in these areas, crucify it. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you help us to live godly lives. Lord, just help us surrender. Let our, let our flesh be crucified. Let us grow in you. Let it, no sin be named among us as our, as our lifestyle. And we know that you can do that because you gave your life. In your son's name, amen.